Lakesh. Nehemiah chapter 8. Up until this point in the book of Nehemiah, we're now at chapter 8 in our series, Much Has Happened to God's People. There has been decline. And God has mercifully sent a godly ruler and leader in Nehemiah. Years earlier, he also sent Ezra, who we're going to meet in this chapter. This is the same Ezra from the book of Ezra, Ezra the scribe. And this is all to make the city of God, God's people, a light unto the nations once more. Now, with all that said, and with all the activity that has taken place, with all the the challenges that God's people have faced, we must not lose sight of the centrality and the importance of the word of God. And this is what this chapter brings to our mind, the importance of the instruction, the teaching, and the loving of God's word. And that it would affect how we live. And it would bring us comfort. That God is with us. Lo, even to the end of the age. So let us read now Nehemiah chapter 8. Let us hear God's holy word. And all the people gather as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, on his right side, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zachariah, and Meshmeshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. As he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen, lifting up their heads. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah. The Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. They gave the sense 
so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof. And in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square of the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim, And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and lived in the booze. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly, according to the rule of the Lord. Bless the reading of his word. Our title for this evening's message is The Importance of God's Word. The Importance of God's Word. A friend of mine once asked me a question about my car. He asked me, did it have cruise control? Now, I had a clue. I had no idea if it did or if it didn't. My natural instinct was to kind of look around, see if there was any buttons that I didn't recognize, and then I might press and see if it did what he was asking me about. But my friend was a little bit wiser than I was. He did what I should have done, which was get the manual and read the manual. And he found out pretty quickly I didn't have any cruise control in my car after all. Why is that important? Who wrote this manual? Well, it was written by the one who made the car. So rather than stumbling around trying to find buttons, we read the manual. 
We can all do this a lot in our lives. We can stumble around and in the dark looking for things. And when we learn about things, it can often be by trial and error. Painful trial and error. Um, so often experience can be painful. And we will warn other people, oh, don't do this what we did. Because we didn't listen to wisdom at the time. And the wisest thing to do is to listen to someone who knows more than us. And generally speaking, there's always people who more, know more than us. Who have more experience in life. Or more experience in anything you've been going through at that time. To save ourselves from doing the wrong thing. Even though we might think at the time we're doing the right thing. Who knows more than us all put together. Who has made the heavens and the earth. Who has made this universe. And friends who has made you. Who has made you in his image. Should we not ask him many questions? Should we not go to him for the answers to what is good? What is wise? What is bad? What is sinful? Perhaps even ask the question, what is foolish? We can often stumble around in the dark and make a mess even in the church, can't we? We have God's word, but sometimes we can maybe drift away from it, not making it front and center as it ought to be. But the church often returns after painful experience, after painful difficulties, learning that it must return to the light of God's holy and written and infallible word. With Ezra described, God's people are seen to return to the light of God's word. It's vitally important that it is front and center. And let us this evening, as we look at this text of Nehemiah chapter 8, see how vitally important and that how, how it needs to be central in all that we do. For true and lasting revival. Our first point here this evening is number one. Head. Understanding God's word. Head. Understanding God's word. We need to have our minds informed of what the will of God is. What God expects from us. And what God sees as good. God gave us all a mind. And we need to use it. The gifts that he has given us. In Nehemiah chapter 8. Verses 1 to 3 it says this. Now all the people gathered as one man in the open square. That was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe. To bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could clearly hear. 
and understand on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The book of the law. Reading God's word as we see here is so vitally important. It is so vitally important. It's, it's vitally important for God's people in the congregation. But it is also vital in the home. In the home. Families here, do you hear the word of God read? Do you read the word of God as a family together? I say God's word, his powerful, authoritative word. Your children need to hear the word of God. Your grandchildren need to hear the word. But also adults, grandparents, it doesn't matter what age you are. We all need to hear God's word read. Even if you have no children in the home. Read the word of God together. The word instructs us. It guides us. It sheds light in dark places. Now other things that we use in the home. They are right and they are good. We think of commentaries. We think of Bible stories for children. They all have their place and they inform the mind. But there's something that is unmistakable. About the word of God. It is, as Hebrews 4.12 tells us, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is living and powerful, and it will do wonderful things in the home. It will do wonderful things if we trust it, in our private reading as well. Verse 3 once again. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate. He read the word of God. And as the word of God is being read. Are we listening to the word of God? Listening to it as the word of God. All of God's people are listening here. They're listening attentively. It says at the end of verse 3, And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. This is something that they were actively involved in. It takes effort. It's not easy. The natural thing for us all when we hear the word of God is to maybe switch off. But to be attentive, to listen, to, to try to hear. Not just with our minds, yes, but... We need to listen attentively. Or else we will not hear what God wants us to hear. In Hebrew, the word here is shama. And this word carries more than just audibly hearing the word. It carries with it also obeying. Obeying. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hear, or another way of saying, obey, O Israel. 
The sense here is when we listen, when we hear God's word, we bow down before it. Refusing to hear was refusing to listen in the Hebrew mind. Our minds cannot be instructed if we don't listen. Now, is it just with God's word here? Is it just me and my Bible? And if it is just read to me, I I will understand enough. I think today we live in a very individual age. We've lost a lot of the sense of community in recent times. It's not just me and my Bible. God has sent aids as well. God has sent help to us. In verse 7 and verse 8, there's a list of people given here. And Jeshua, and it gives a list all the way down to Peliah and the Levites. What did they do? They helped the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and help them to understand the reading. They help them to understand the reading. The Levites were not just about the sacrificing of the sacrifices. They were there also to teach God's people the law of God. That was part of their office. That was part of their function in Israel. The law here refers to the books of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy. Those five books is what's being referred to here, the book of the law. And the prophets later, it says in the New Testament quite often, the law and the prophets is referred to. The law, the books of Moses, and the prophets would often be calling them back to their departure from this law. To bring them back to where they were meant to be. A call to repentance. So there were teachers given by God among God's people. And they were there to help. They were there to help. There to teach. And today, friends, you have elders. Elders there to help you to understand God's word. To guide you to as shepherd, shepherds, as it talks about in, in Psalm 23, to lead you to good food. To guide you, to help you. And in this guiding, in this helping, it, it's not just, and we should never think like this, that it is to catch you out in your sin. It's to help you to turn you away from that which is harmful Sheep can fall into ditches. If you ever observe sheep in, in the field, how often do they get out of and end up where they're not supposed to be? But to point you towards the truth, to show you where there is good food in the word of God, and to explain to you what it means. So that the mind, the mind is informed that you would understand Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, 
and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So as we talk about the importance of God's word here this evening, let us not just think me and my Bible. Yes, this is the final authority, but God has given us helps to understand this word. He has given us other authorities, which we are to submit to as well, which also themselves must submit to the highest authority, which is the word of the living God. But let us see the help God has given us. Without understanding, how can we possibly know what to do? Think about this, friends. Without understanding the word of God, without having a clear understanding of it, How can we know the mind or the will of God? So don't we need to fill our minds, our minds with good food from God's word. But also with good teaching. Also with good teaching. Pray for your minister. Pray for your elders. They are there for your blessing. To watch over your soul. So number one, we've looked at head, understanding God's word. Two, now we're going to look at heart, heart, loving God's word, loving God's word. We've dealt with the mind, realizing our need to be instructed. That is all of us, every single one of us, young, old, experienced, inexperienced, those in Offices such as deacons or elders or not. All of us need to be instructed. Every single last one of us. But we must not simply store information in our brains. Our brains must not become the attic. We, we fearfully open up and think about all the books we can store away in our heads. Reading books without a love for Christ. Without making us love Christ more. I'm talking about now books about theology. Is a tragedy. Now, I am not against reading at all. We should read. And we should fill our minds with good things. Absolutely. But we must do so prayerfully. We must do so that it doesn't fill our minds with pride and puff us up. We must do so that it it would tell us more about the one we love. It's very easy to know things about Christ. But do we know him more intimately? Does it make us weep more for how much he has done for us? Does it make us worship more? Does it make us sing more. In verses 5 and 6 it says this. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord the great God. Then all the people answered. Amen. Amen. While lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. When we hear the word of God, not just intellectually, of course, but also with our hearts, does it make us rejoice? 
Does it make us yearn to be with him and know more about him? We cannot rejoice in ourselves at that moment when we're looking at the law of God. We despair, don't we, at ourselves. We look at ourselves and I am vile, I am a sinner. But God is wonderful, he is glorious. And we see this here, don't we? They bow their heads, they worship the Lord with their, with their faces to the ground. There was a sense of shame. There was a sense of, yes, their eyes are open, look at all the things we're not doing. Their faces to the ground. What we learn of God must not be with a heart that is cold and motionless. Well, you, you might be here this evening and you might say when I just said that, well, I'm just not a very emotional person. I'm more of a, I'm more of a logical thinker. I just have a few questions for you on that. Do you get emotional and you start shouting when your favorite team is winning or perhaps losing? Do you show emotion when you disagree with another person on a certain topic? Do you show emotion when money is tight and you're not sure if you can pay the next bill? Do you show emotion when your job isn't going well and you're in a foul mood when you go home? We don't all show emotion in exactly the same way. We're all different. We're all individuals. But we're all passionate about something. All of us. It may be sports, it may be work, it may be school, it may be friends, and it may be family. But our main love, our first love, must be God. God's word. To really understand God's word, we must love it. It can't be a cold intellectual endeavor. It can't just be something to show how much smarter we are than others. It has got to be about, let me tell you, friend, of the one I love. And with every, with every moment, it brings me joy to get to know him. It brings me joy and I want to share and tell others about him. Does what you know, learn from God's word make you love God's word more? Because look at what it did to God's people here. He opened up the book, verse 5, in the sight of all the people. He blesses the Lord, verse 6, the great God. They all in praise in complete agreement, amen, amen. They worshipped their Lord. They worshipped Him. Do you see it as precious, as wonderful, a wonderful gift from God? Something that satisfies. Jesus Christ is called the fountain of living waters in the book of Jeremiah. Something that is sweet to the taste. Something that quenches your thirst like nothing else. We need this love for the word of God. We have to have it when we, when we come before. When we, when we are in our private, 
quiet time, in our private devotions, in our private worship, we need to have this love for God's word. That we are, we are reading a love letter. We are reading to the one who cares. And we're reading it from someone we deeply love. And may I also say, when we, we miss, and I say this in the sense of we are not at home on this earth. And we dearly wish to be closer to him. We need to have our heart warmed. It says in verse 10 of our text in Nehemiah chapter 8. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the vat, drink the sweet and send portions to those whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why did they sorrow? Why were they sad? They worshipped, but there was also a great sadness that was before them. Because when we look at the perfect standard of God's word, what are we in comparison with it? We are sinners. But also, why does then Ezra say, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength? Why does he say that? Because there's only one being and he's got a whole army behind him. There's one who wishes to crush you under the weight of your own sin. He wishes to leave you in grief and not to replace it with joy. That is the devil. That is the devil. Turn to God. The law, the law will show you your problem. We fall short, all of us. But the medicine, the gospel, turn and live. Turn to him and live. If you've turned to the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the heart of yours, that heart of yours, is the very engine room of everything you do. Humanly speaking. A lack of warmth from your heart will... Pour cold water on what your mind has stored. It's very easy to know many things about the Bible. To know many things about theology. But pour cold, heartless water all over it. That can be done. So while we need to read the word of God. Meditate upon it. Learn it. We need our hearts warm towards God. Because our hearts can be naturally cold. I remember, I know in our house in the winter months when I come downstairs, it's very cold. Our home needs heating like many homes does. And when I turn on the heating, does the house heat up immediately? No. It takes time. It takes fuel. And friends, we also need time with God. If we are not spending Quality time with God, our hearts will grow cold. We are, I think many people around here would recognize the need to spend quality time with your family. We need to spend quality time with God. Serious time with God that our hearts would be warmed and that joy would radiate out. 
and fuel everything that we do. Number three now, hands. Hands, applying God's word. So we've looked at head, understanding God's word, heart, loving God's word, hands, applying God's word. We must practice what we believe. We must practice what we believe. Without this practice lived out and experienced from our hearts, we say we believe one thing, but if our, if our works or our fruit say something different, is it real? Now, all of our works are imperfect. But it will affect our, our head, our heart, our hands. It will affect how we live. It will affect how we live. Verse 14 says this. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded my Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. There are things which God had commanded them to do under the old covenant administration. But they had neglected it for much time. We notice as well from verse 17. They hadn't done this since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. There was a drifting and neglecting of what God had commanded them to do. And that had to do with the instruction of the mind and the destruction of the heart. But without the word of God instructing us, how would we know? So it is vital. But it can't just stop in the head and the heart. Is it possible? If you say, for example, that you believe it is wrong to blaspheme God. But you are doing things such as um, taking the Lord's name in vain. Using the Lord's name as a curse word, for example. Do those two truths go together? It must be the head, the heart, and the hands. The Puritans of old talked about this necessity of these three elements of doctrine. To to inform the mind, but also the heart. The heart would be warmed towards this doctrine to love it, to love God. But also that it would not just stop there. That there would be application and that we would think... How does this affect how we live? It makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because it asks us often to change. What am I doing currently that is not in conformity to the word of God? And all of us, all of us have areas where we need to change. All of us. The hands must be instructed and directed by God's word. In our text... It says here in verse 15, as it is written. It says at the end of verse 15, they went to make booths. The last few words there of that verse, as it is written. Applying the word of God. Now, this festival, this feast was called the Feast of Tabernacles. goes right back to the book of Leviticus. It's also called the Feast of Booths. 
the feasts of booze. And these booths were kind of temporary houses that were made. And they saw that they were not in conformity in this area and they needed to change. And so the attitude, friends, can be this. How can I get around this? Or how can I change this? Are we actively trying to say, God's word says this, I need to apply this to my life. And they were not as a community doing what they were supposed to do with the feats of booze. And they changed. There was repentance there. How to do this? Or do we think this is not convenient? This is not convenient. I don't want to look at this. This is a can of worms. I confess years ago, I was very reluctant to look into the issue of singing the Psalms. My my theology had changed in other areas. This is about eight years ago now. There's a nervousness we have of changing. But friends, there's such a blessing. There's such a blessing in following God. Do we wish to worship him according to his revealed will? According as he is revealed in his word. Our will, our fallen will, is corrupted. It is it's finite. It, it doesn't even come close to the, to the wisdom of God. And he has told us how to worship him and how to approach him. And we must apply God's commands in how we approach God. This was part of Old Testament worship. This is a serious issue. Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 and 2 discovered how serious God, how seriously God takes worship. Nadab and Abihu offered up profane or strange fire not commanded in the word of God. And God killed them. Both. There's no hint from Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 and 2 that they did so out of a plot. They simply did something in worship that was contrary to the will, the revealed will of God. There are serious consequences and curses when going away from God's word. But this festival as well brought conformity to the word of God. But it also brought rejoicing in the word of God. In verse 17. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and sat under the booze. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until the day of the children of Israel, had not done so. And there was very great gladness. As there was. As there was. In Leviticus chapter 23, this was a festival of rejoicing. There's joy in change. There's joy in being changed and conformed to the image of God. It is not something to put off, friends. It says in Leviticus 23 verse 40, And you shall take for yourselves on the first day of the the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, And willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Rejoice before the Lord your God 
for seven days. This is speaking now about the Feast of Tabernacles. Our final point, and we'll briefly look at this final point. Number four, home. Home, dwelling with God's word. Dwelling with God's word. So we've looked at head, heart, hands. Now we're going to look at home. Dwelling with God's word. We do work. And the word of God instructs our mind. It instructs our heart. It instructs our hands. But our home and our future hope is by the work of another. It is by the work of another. And praise God it is not our work. Because our work is far from perfect. It talks about this in verse 14. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses. That the children of Israel should dwell in booths. These are these temporary homes during the feast of the seventh month. Again this is the feast of tabernacles. And what was this pointing towards? What was this remembering? What was this celebrating? It was celebrating their journey away from oppression in Egypt. Toward their home in Canaan. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. A place that was not their home. But there was better to come in their more permanent home in Canaan. In this festival of booze, they remembered this time when God provided for them. And God was there for them. And God was a constant presence for them. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide them and lead them. God dwelt with his people, even in the wilderness. And as we think as well, as we have been delivered from bondage in our spiritual Egypt, set free from that oppression, on our journey to our own Canaan, our heavenly Canaan, God is with us, and lo, he is with us, even to the end of the age. As he told the disciples in Matthew 28, verse 20. He is there. This reassures us. And this is what the word of God does. Over and over again. Don't we need a reassurance? We're involved in the work. We're striving. But we need reassurance that God is with us. And he will not forsake us. He is with Nehemiah in the city of God. With his special presence in the Holy of Holies. In the temple. The son of God. The true true God and true man. Dwelt with his people. It talks about this in John 1.14. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Now that word can also be translated. It's possible to translate it this way. And the word became flesh. And tabernacled among us. And tabernacled among us. That is where our home is. Dwelling with God. With God's word. Hearing God's word. Listening to his word. And you may come here this evening suffering. Going through trial. But will he leave you? He will not forsake you. If you drift from the word of God. If, if the word of God is no more central to your walk. You'll forget this. You'll forget that he is with you. 
And that his presence is with you. Perhaps. You do read but not as much as you once did. Perhaps you still pray but yet not as much as you once did. Return to your first love. Return. We must not turn our, our, our Christian walk into a box ticking exercise. It would be easy for me to say this. Read your Bible more. Pray more. But, but if we do so mechanically. If we do so in just ticking off the boxes. And with our, not, with our hearts and our minds not engaged. We need help don't we in these areas. We need to be led by God's word. We need to be warmed by God's word. Because if we're not. If we're not led. By the wisdom of God's word. If we're not led by his truth. What are we being led by? Without the wisdom. And the clarity. And the beauty. And the joy. And the instruction. And the guidance of God's word. We will follow our own hearts. That's a scary thing. And we must not do that. It says in Proverbs, he who trusts in his own heart is a a fool. It is vital. It is vital. Cling to the word of God. Hear it. Hide it in your hearts. Be instructed by it. Remember, friends, he will not leave you. If you are truly his and you've trusted in God, He will not leave you nor forsake you. Amen.